0: listening to the next best picture podcast and this is our throwback review of the 1989 film do the right
1: thing it's gonna be a scorcher today.
0: universal pictures presents a new film from spike lee good
1: morning miss mother sister
0: now mookie don't work too hard today the man says it's gonna be hot as the devil i've been here
1: 25 years and famous pizzeria is here to stay Trust me. monkey the last time I trusted you, we ended up with a son. I know you can't stand it. You can't stand it. You hey hey you
0: know Sal, I'm getting the brothers on the wall here. You want brothers on the wall? Love. Get your own place. You can do what you want to do. What I tell you about that noise! What I tell you about that picture!
1: you talk some brother talk to
0: him. You the man. No, you the
1: man. No, you the man. Are no, you, no, you the man. The first time you turn your back, boom. Ah! Right here, man, in the back. Y'all take a chill. You like to sign a petition to boycott oh. South's famous pizzeria? Hear power. me, what you ought to do is boycott that no good barber that messed up your head. And that's the double
0: truth. the power. Fight
1: the power. If you know, deep down the side, I think you wish you were black. <laughs>
0: Who told you to step on my sneakers? Who told you to walk on
1: my side of the block? Who told you to be in my neighborhood? I own this brownstone. Who told you to buy a brownstone on my block, in my neighborhood, on my side of the street? I can't even hear myself think!
0: From Spike Lee.
1: Director of School Days, and she's gotta have it. Good people, please. If we don't stop this, party, we can stop it. doctor come on what what always do the right thing that's
0: it that's it i got it i'm gone all right everyone you were just listening to the trailer to spike lee's film from 1989 do the right thing and the story is as follows Salvatore is the italian owner of a pizzeria in brooklyn a neighborhood local called bugging out becomes upset when he sees that the pizzeria's wall of fame exhibits only Italian actors. Buggin' Out believes a pizzeria in a black neighborhood should showcase black actors, but Sal disagrees. The wall becomes a symbol of racism and hate to Buggin' Out and to other people in the neighborhood, and tensions rise on the hottest day of the summer. The film is starring Danny Aiello, Ossie Davis, Ruby Dee, Richard Edson, Jean-Carlo Esposito, Spike Lee, Bill Nunn, John Turturro, Rosie Perez, and John Savage. It is written and directed by Spike Lee. And joining me for this special throwback review, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Josh, this is, this is quite a whole hell of a lot of movie. <laughs> that it is. I mean, we talked about Lawrence of Arabia a few weeks ago, and that film is what, like a four-hour epic, and at half the length, I feel that in this, there is just as much content to cover.
1: Oh yeah, it is a movie that is talking about a lot of different things at the same time, but doing it in very, very interesting ways. It is a, oh god, it's such a great movie.
0: (laughs) It's coming up on its 30th anniversary next year. It has withstood the test of time, and we're reviewing it because this was actually voted on by the fans of Next Best Picture on the polls for our throwback review, which was tied to Black Klansman, which is coming out in a few days. And Black Klansman has been hailed as Spike Lee's best film in years. Probably, I would say, uh, people, most people would say, what, since Inside Man, I guess? Yeah. That would probably be, I guess, his like last agreed upon good, good film. But, I mean, I really like Chirac, though.
1: Chirac is an interesting movie. It doesn't really hold together as a complete work, but there's kind of moments and themes running through that film that are very interesting to talk about.
0: Yeah. Well, Spike Lee's always been a controversial filmmaker. He's always never been afraid to express himself through his work. And this film very, very much expresses the racial tensions that were occurring in not you know, in, in not just New York City where the story uh, takes place in Brooklyn rather, but across the country as a whole. Um, it was a film that was meant to be a, a social commentary, and it does it in a very very unique way. But what's been the most interesting aspect about Do the Right Thing is that, like I said, coming up even on thirty years, um, it's both very interesting and very sad at the same time that it is still as relevant as ever.
1: Yeah, that is the amazing thing about watching this movie is you're looking at it and so many of the things that it's discussing and talking about are, you know, very much applicable today. And it's what makes the movie so fascinating, but it also does tinge it a bit with sadness that a movie that's almost three decades old at this point can still be that uh, relevant in so many aspects that you'd hope we would had (laughs) evolved beyond by this point
0: yeah I mean the film at the end dedicates itself to six victims of police brutality and it's you know you would you would hope that a film like this with as much conversation as it has created you know I'll admit New York City is definitely a different place than it was in 1989 Brooklyn is definitely a different place and that I do believe that on the whole things have gotten better but we're still not out of the woods yet in terms of race relations and there still being, unfortunately, uh, police brutality and in many cases murder towards, uh, towards black people in, in our culture. It, it's, it's something that also with the invention of the Internet uh, has gotten a much, much bigger spotlight put on it because of how widespread the news uh, can become. Whereas I do feel that many people, a lot of blind and oblivious people, probably saw this film and had their eyes opened uh, to these issues that were going on in ways that they maybe uh, didn't even think about before or know uh, what was actually taking place.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, technology today has basically allowed these communities to document these types of actions that have been happening for so long. And now it's everywhere in the culture that we pick up on it but back then in 89 you know nobody had cell phones you couldn't really showcase it as much so you had this movie come out that just really kind of shoves it in people's faces about what it's like what is this perspective really going through and it's radical and it's honestly it still feels radical even to this day but you can only imagine what that must have been like you know for audiences in 89 who had never been exposed to something like that before and you've got this vision coming out that's just just unlike anything that you've seen previously.
0: Yeah, no, you definitely read about the vision being unique for sure. There's a lot of elements about this film that help it to give it such a unique identity and such a lively spirit to the quality of filmmaking that's on display. And that's also aided in part uh, due to the strong writing and uh, to the cast members too. Like this cast is a who's who of people that when you look back on it today, it's like, man, like who is not in this cast? You know, you have... Rosie Perez making uh, her debut in this movie as Tina. You got Samuel Jackson. Uh, Frank Vincent shows up for one scene. Yeah, you got uh, who? Who else is in this? Um, Did I? I I said John Savage, right? Is in this for one scene. Yeah, yeah,
1: John Savage. Yeah, he's the the neighbor that uh, gets into the confrontation with bugging out over his shoes.
0: (laughs) John Carlo Esposito is bugging out. You know, of Breaking Bad fame nowadays and Better Call Saul. I mean. Bill Nunn, John Turturro, Ozzie Davis, uh, his his wife Ruby D. Uh, you know it's like it's unreal how deep this cast is. Martin, Martin Lawrence is in this. It was his first film. <laughs> oh yeah, Th- this cast
1: is amazing. Like I cannot sing enough praises for just how wonderful this entire ensemble is. And I think it really speaks to the fact that this material was so strong that you know, actors that were just newcomers and also very well established, like uh, Ozzie Davis and Ruby D, came on board because the vision of this story was just so unbelievably compelling that it just brought the best out of every member of this cast. And my God, it is one of the greatest ensembles ever assembled for a movie. Everybody is just so, so great in this
0: film. And Spike Lee was still a young filmmaker at the time. He was in his late 20s. This was only his fourth feature-length film, and he made it with um, some friends of his, family members. Um, I do, if I remember correctly, um, the person who plays uh, his uh, his sister in this, uh, uh, Jade, is actually Spike Lee's actual sister, uh, Joey Lee in, uh, real life, and you know, you got Ernest Dickinson who's doing the cinematography on this, they were both NYU buddies, and he worked on a number of Spike Lee's, uh, films I, the music is done by Bill Lee, who, um, also is related to Spike Lee as well, I believe he is his, I want to say he was his I want to say he was his uncle if I That's, remember
1: correctly that sounds about right
0: yeah, so it's really, really fascinating that this film is so personal to Lee, um, not just because of how important the subject matter is, but also because of people he had working with him on it, not just unknowns and up and comers whose careers he helped to propel, but also, like you said, established people and also friends and family as well. And I think that that helps to create something here that feels, like I said, um, important it feels personal and it expresses a tremendous amount of emotion through the style of filmmaking through the performances through the writing and let's just get right into it i mean uh ultimately the first first thing we see in the film jazz music starts playing right over the over the credits and the next thing you know it's like it just shifts gears immediately after the title of the screen uh uh, of the title of the film do the right thing comes on it just switches to that famous, famous song, that anthem for this film, Fight the Power, by Public Enemy. And we see Rosie Perez just doing this, 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 like, you know, it doesn't look like it's that choreographed. It's like those if Spike Lee just said, hey, Rosie, just dance, you know, and she's dancing on the stage and you got this unique lighting that's happening. It does look like it was shot on a, on a stage. It does not look like it was shot at all um, on an actual street. But yet, at the same time, like I, I'm not going to fault it for that. I think it actually has a very exciting and energetic opening for the film that helps to give it that propulsive energy.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a really bold way to start the movie that just immediately, like you said, just gives you this energetic uh, feeling to the movie. And, you know, it's funny, Matt, you say that it just seems like it, <laughs> Spike Lee just told Rosie Perez to just – go with it she is actually credited as the co-choreographer of the movie (laughs) so it, it does seem like they probably had somebody in to just sort of give her the kind of outline and then she just improvised so you definitely just feel her natural energy just pulse all the way through that that opening scene and yeah it's a very interesting way to start it but it just really gives you the sense of energy that you're going to get out of this movie just right away and makes that statement right up front.
0: Yeah, and I think what it I think the statement that it's uh, saying is that this is a film for the uh for for black culture. This is this is like this is the this is the music, this is the urban setting, and this is just like a celebration of our people. You know what I mean? I think cuz cuz otherwise I don't know what other narrative context the opening serves other than that, um, other than to, like I say, kind of like bring up the energy in the room. I mean, the editing is definitely um, very crisp in this movie and it helps uh, aid in along with that as well because I, I could have seen, you know, the next thing it cuts to is Samuel L. Jackson uh, playing this uh, this disc jockey for We Love Radio and I, I could have easily, easily have seen that be the first opening image of the film. That's the first thing that happens. But instead, they go with this. Uh, so, do you think that that's ultimately like what Spike Lee was trying to get with this opening sequence?
1: Yeah, I think the opening is really just like to establish a mood. Um, you're right; it, it, the movie could have very easily opened without that that sequence. But I think what it accomplishes is just really setting up the kind of feeling that you're supposed to get out of these characters, out of this situation, and you know, also establishing. The theme song to the film essentially, and knowing that that theme is tied very much into um, many of the discussions that are going to be taking place in the film. And I think it just sort of sets you up, gets you in the mood for what you're about to see.
0: Yep. Uh, So we're introduced to a number of different characters then that live on this uh, Brooklyn block. And it's the hottest day of the summer. So the film has this very warm uh, color palette. This, this uh, they, they definitely were very deliberate with the types of clothes, uh, the colors used for the sets. Everything was meticulously planned out to convey heat on camera. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, you could see it on the actors' faces, uh, the amount of sweat. And, I mean, that alone helps uh, from a visual standpoint for Do The Right Thing to stand out right away so immediately you get that but then what spike lee does throughout the entire film is he really fully establishes the setting and the people who live in that setting and it helps to give the film um a sense of life and you feel that this place this block is so um it just feels lived in and it doesn't feel artificial or put together for, you know, just this movie, like, a you know, like an actual film set, it, it feels authentic, because like a, like a great novel, we see tiny details sprinkled throughout and we take time away sometimes from the main narrative of following Mookie, who's played by Spike Lee, to see what's going on down this corner and what's going on with this character over here and all of it is just in service to uh, both character and also to uh, setting as well Um, and I do feel that that is very very important because if you're trying to make that kind of a film that's going to be culturally important it's it's very very imperative that we understand what that culture is
1: oh absolutely and You know, you're right. It it does feel very authentic, but at the same time, it does also feel very deliberately stylized, too. You know, you mentioned the clothing that people wear and the uh, cinematography having all these warm tones to it. You know, it definitely feels very meticulously designed, but it also doesn't feel like they just shot this on some studio backlot. You know, it, it feels real and lived in while also being very indulgent in this artistic element that just even that helps to elevate the movie's themes and what it's talking about. And just overall makes it just even that much more impressive.
0: Yep. And we're introduced, like I said before, we're introduced to a number of different characters. We're introduced to Smiley, uh, who is going around all the time trying to sell these photos of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X to people with, uh, with this bit of a stutter that he has and, we have uh, the mayor who's, I guess, what you would call the town drunk in a way. Although there is one scene uh, where he kind of gets called out for being the town drunk. And th- he gets a little bit of backstory, actually, where he talks about how he fell on hard times uh, for his, uh, his wife and his kids. And I, I think that that, um, that was like an unexpected character moment that I was not not expecting at all. Uh, that helped me to have a a lot of empathy for uh, that character, who in many ways acts as actually the moral compass for a lot of the film's um, tensions and uh, moral quandaries it ends up in, especially later in the film.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you get that moment where he uh, explains his backstory a little bit and kind of the hardships that he's been going through, it is a very revealing moment. But what's also fascinating about that is I don't think the movie really expects you to just, like, empathize with him that much because, yeah, he gets called out on his drunkenness and he explains this, but then the person he's explaining it to also kind of goes after him about, you know, kind of his failings as a provider for his family. And I don't think that you're ever really supposed to get that, you know, that the mayor is supposed to be somebody who is this, all wise person who is this town elder that you're supposed to respect thoroughly. He's a flawed human being and he's got good lessons, but he's also got bad lessons and you never really know which ones you're going to be able to get from him. And you have to kind of traverse whatever it is that he's saying to really get at the heart of, what you really want to learn from him and that's something that's in the whole film. Well,
0: I I, I don't know if I'd, I don't know if I'd fully agree with you on that because I think that there are two instances, especially, maybe yeah, no, three instances actually, where um, as a character, he shows more of those good qualities than uh, the bad qualities, which the only bad quality that we see of him is that he was irresponsible in his past and he's a drunk today. But other than those two things, everything else he does throughout the film, uh, such as saving that little boy from being run over by the car or um, at the end of the film when he's telling everyone to just stop and that they're going to make a decision that they're going to regret for the rest of their lives. And especially when he tells Mookie the line of the film, always do the right thing. I do think the film is not so much split with him. I think that it is actually supposed to be more geared and leaning towards, no, this is actually, this is a good man who people have the wrong perception of, but at his core, he knows what's going on.
1: I mean, I do think that uh, that he is a sympathetic character. I certainly would say that. And I think overall, he is a force for good in that neighborhood. But I think that When you especially get that scene where he's confronted with, you know, kind of his decision in his past, I just think that the movie is telling you that this is a guy who is good, but he's not perfect. And, you know, even when he says, always do the right thing, well, he doesn't always do the right thing. The guy Mm -hmm. who's telling you the moral of the movie, it doesn't always live up to that himself. And I think that that is where I find it to be most interesting is that, yes, Mm -hmm. he is overall a good force, but he is not a completely, um, benevolent element to this neighborhood, and that's something to always remember about the world around you.
0: Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to our throwback review of Do the Right Thing. However, this is a preview of the full review, which can be listened to if you subscribe to our Patreon channel for a minimum of $1 a month. Just head on over to patreon.com, type in next best picture, subscribe there, and you get this review, Along with other exclusive podcast content just for our Patreon subscribers. You can subscribe to the Next Best Picture Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player FM, and also on Castbox. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Nothing less than five stars is acceptable, but we appreciate your feedback and support. Thank you so much for listening, and we shall see you all next time.